I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. You're listening to Wiretap with Jonathan Goldstein on CBC Radio 1. Today's episode, Other People's Problems. p.m. I'm flying to Colorado on business, and my plane leaves in a few hours. And rather than anticipating the state's mountains and waterfalls, I'm focused on my phobias. Aerophobia, arachnophobia, Coloradophobia. According to the Internet, there are poisonous spiders in Colorado. And unlike Peter Parker, who became a unitarded ubermensch because of his spider bite, I'm imagining mine as yielding a prolonged hospital stay involving hives and stomach cramps. 3 p.m. In the cab to the airport, I distract myself from anxiety by staying in the moment. I concentrate on the back of the driver's head. He has red dots on his neck. I wonder if they're contagious. 3.01 p.m. Does everyone else worry they'll make the cabbie feel like they've no confidence in him if they buckle up? I believed in you, I'll whisper, as the two of us lay on the hood of the car amid shards of windshield glass. 3.07 p.m. My cell phone rings. It's Josh. You know when you're eating a slice of pizza, he asks, and you can't decide whether to fold it or not, and then you do fold it? and then you regret it immediately, but with the cheese all stuck together, it's just too late to unfold? Intimately, I say. I feel that way about having broken up with Alice, he says. I shouldn't have folded. 3.20 p.m. I'm at the airport, and Josh is still listing his woes as I get my ticket, check my luggage, and walk towards security. I am no longer thinking about turbulence, altitude-related illness, or even desert spiders. I'm focused on Josh. Sometimes listening to someone else's problems helps eclipse one's own. Maybe that's why the good Lord created other people's problems in the first place. After a time, you start to see the world around you as just a swirling ocean of other people's problems. This is Dr. Vincent Singleton a Colorado research psychologist who catalogues and diagnoses the problems of others. Dr. Singleton is an expert at decoding body language and is able to read symptoms of mental unwellness that are invisible to the untrained eye. And sometimes, to escape the clinical setting, he'll sit in the park, observing people's behavior from a distance. I asked if I could tag along during one of these sessions and record his observations for the radio. You have to spend a lot of time here, which I do, hours every day, studying, considering, 
making notes. So why don't, why don't we just take a look around and uh, maybe you could favor us with, with some observations. Absolutely. What about, what about that couple over there sitting by the tree? If we look closely at this situation, you can see there's a lot of touching, a lot of smiling and radiating a kind of joy. And what I think we're seeing here is a relationship close to its conclusion. But, I mean, you, you just said that they're radiating a lot of joy? But there is a large amount of negativity being pressed back here in the way that she's holding that handbag, for instance, quite close to her chest. I think that's her way of saying back off, essentially. Um, if you look at the boy, he's um, just now and again, his eyes dart off to the side. That's a repressed terror that we're seeing there, um, looking for an escape route. And I think they're both putting up a very successful front for each other. But I wouldn't give this relationship more than a couple more weeks. I mean, to the common observer, to me, it looks like they're just kind of enjoying an afternoon together. Like, in fact, actually, look, right now, they're, she's kind of laughing. Well, but look at, the, look at the boy, for instance. You see he's eating chips there. Now, he's offered her chips several times. But the way that he's offering the chips, the way that he thrusts them towards her, essentially trying to push her away, he's almost using that bag of chips as a proxy for his own emotional distance. And watch how he brings it down now. Do you see that? That's almost... A guillotine-like movement. He's trying to sever this relationship. That's amazing because, I mean, truly, like, to me, it just looks as though he's offered her uh, a corn chip. Yes, to the untrained eye, that is how it would seem. What about, let's take a look at the, um, uh, that couple over there, uh, seated by the grass. Right, well, we've picked an elderly couple here, and that's interesting. If you look at the way that they were sitting down a moment ago. You saw them sitting down, and you saw how the lady was um, holding the man's sleeve. That, that seemed nice, yeah. It was kind of like a sweet moment. What it suggested to me was that she was the dominator in this relationship. She was repressing him. She was trying to control him. Again, I think this has been a very unhappy relationship. Really? No, I wouldn't have thought that. This is the curse that I live with every day, seeing the reality beneath this fantasy that we call life. Over time, I think anyone can develop this skill. For instance, what does your first impression of this couple tell you about them? Oh, that that couple over there? Okay, uh, she's kind of uh, swinging her legs back and forth, and he's kind of smiling in, in a, what seems a very open kind of way. I think it's kind of, I don't know, it looks like the blossoming of young love. To me, it appears the tragic end of a relationship in its last stages of disintegration. It, I mean, really, these kids can't be more than, like, 10, 11 years old. Yes, and that is what is sad. This, these things do happen at a very early age. They are laying the foundations for further unhappy relationships. What about, what about that couple over there having that heated conversation? He's kind of a, a large uh, bodybuilder kind of guy? That's right. He's trying to keep the part of himself in shape that's available to him. What's not available is his cold emotional core. Almost brutish classic conduct disorder, I think. Somebody very much lacking in social grace, spitting on the floor, punching his palm with his fist as he speaks to his girlfriend. Now, to me, that is a classic symptom of an Oedipal complex. Oedipal as in, like, he wants to have sex with his mother? Picture a kitten pawing at its mother's teat. It's the same kind of gesture. The, the pounding? That's right. It's almost like he's trying to milk his girlfriend, trying to pump the milk of affection from this girl who clearly cannot provide what he's seeking. That is very S2. If you could just keep your voice down, I do like to maintain a wall between myself and the subjects. Please. Right, right, yes, yeah, sorry. Um, but yes, as I was saying, 
I mean, look at the way that he's and thrusting back his shoulders and cracking his knuckles. The absolute look at the way that his shoulder kind of maybe you shouldn't be pointing at least. Right, sorry. That's that's fine. Um, anyway, I was saying in the way that his girlfriend's turned away from him, she she senses his weaknesses, his fallacies. Oh, it's, look look at that. His girlfriend has just turned on her heel and kind of she, stomped okay, off. Pointing to a minimum. Yes, I think that the fallacy has been revealed to her there. She has seen him for what he really is. Oh, and he's he's pointing at us, which is kind of confrontational, wouldn't you say? Kind of dictatorial. Uh, I would I would say that, yes. Um, hey, he's walking over. He, he is walking. He's an expert on... He's a, he's well, a, perhaps it's time to move on. Should we um, perhaps be moving back? Oh, uh, no, no, we what weren't... You, we were just, uh, just having a discussion. It was an unrelated matter. We were just, terrible. Sorry, I didn't mean any harm okay, at all. all It's one thing to point out other people's problems, but another to actually try to fix them. In a bid to give a little something back, we recently set up a wiretap helpline for people to phone in with their problems, problems that we would try to resolve. For help with the task, we enlisted Misha Globerman, a conflict resolution expert who runs workshops that teach people how to negotiate their interpersonal troubles. Part of what's fun about it is that the range of application is enormous. Like the principles through which people negotiate international peace treaties down to like the principles through which like, um, you know, a roommate squabble might get resolved. Like a lot of those principles are the same principles. So let's uh, let's check out our messages and uh, and see what we have here. Okay. Hi, my name is Hannah Graves. I am a first year in college and the first person that I met when I started college, was a foreign exchange student from France, and we became friends. Her name is Emma. She was really into our friendship. Um, she would introduce me to everyone that we met as her best friend. She would basically, uh, if anyone were to talk to me or to post anything on my Facebook wall, she would ask me who they were and be weirdly jealous. Um, when I was going to do community service work um, over spring break, she was upset at me for not planning to do something with her for spring break, even though I was doing community service work. And basically, I want to break up with Emma as a friend, and I don't know how to do that. So, Misha, what, what advice would you give Hannah? I guess there's a couple of things that strike me in Hannah's call. One thing is that I'm curious about the nature of her friendship with Emma and this friendship that she wants to end. Because uh, sometimes what happens is that people are so averse to conflict that they'd rather just like end a situation completely than deal with the problems. Hmm. So it might be the case that, you know, what she sort of says in her friendship with Emma is, I have this person I'm friends with, we became friends, there's this problem, this problem, this problem, so how do I stop being friends with her? And one thing that I would think is to say maybe, and of course, like, I don't want to, you know, we have to, have to talk to Hannah and see, but is to ask her, like, hey, if Emma were still around, like, is there stuff in her friendship you value? If you didn't have these problems, would you want to be friends with her? And if the answer is yes, then the thing is, like, oh, might you actually be able to become a person who can address the problems within your friendships rather than become the person who ends friendships when problems come up in them? So you're, dra you're drawing a distinction between the, uh, the relationship, qua relationship, and the, the problems. Yeah, I guess, I guess that Did I, I just use qua like, correctly? Oh, I, th I didn't. I didn't think you were actually using qua. I thought you were just <laughs> just making noises just like, with my mouth, passing the time between one word and another. 
(laughs) (laughs) But I think that like one thing to understand is like every interpersonal relationship has problems in it. And the best friendships are going to be the friendships where when problems come up, you can actually address them and work them through. And so what would be some of the tools that you would... What would you send her in there with if she did want to try to salvage? I would say there's a few things. I, I think that there's a thing, a few things that you would say. Like I think one thing is that when you're talking about a relationship that you want to salvage, I think it's really important to like begin by stressing to the other person that like you do value their friendship because that's something that you both share. So, so in any sort of conflict like that, if you can start off with a shared purpose rather than starting off with where you disagree, so you don't you don't say, hey, I want to have a conversation about how you suck, but but if you start off by saying, listen, I. You know, my your friendship means a lot to me, and I want to figure out ways to continue our friendship. And I and there are some problems I think we're having. I want to talk to you about them. You have to get the other person to agree and say, "Yeah, that's a good idea. I want to do that too." And and just generally, I mean, in a nutshell, why do, why do you think it is that we we tend towards uh, conflict avoidance? It's painful. I mean, it's it's painful, and you know, it's hard. It's not fun. We want people to like us. We want to like other people. We don't want to cause other people bad feelings. We don't want people to be mad at us. Like mostly you want people to like us and be happy about us. And, and that's and when you talk to someone about a problem, you have the opposite experience of all that. Hmm. Think of your favorite one-hit wonder. Or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have. Or that TV show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon. Now what if we could fix it? I'm Francesca Ramsey. And I'm Delon Grant. And after 20 years of friendship, we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called Let Me Fix It. Each episode, we'll dig into our favorite celebrities, shows, and brands of yesteryear, and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today. Think of our show as an intervention, but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. All right, let's uh, let's move on. Let's listen to the uh, next message. Here we go. Hi, my name is Jacqueline Harris. Um, I have an issue. There's this thing that this turtle does that I live with. It's my roommate's turtle. And <laughs> it does this thing where it, it'll stand in front of reflective surfaces for hours on end. And it'll do this mating dance or it'll stare at itself and lift itself up. And sometimes it falls into the mirror and... I don't know what to do. Like, does it think it's socializing? Should I put more reflective surfaces up or should I take them away because it's obsessed with itself with turtles that it doesn't have access to? Or is it vain? I don't know. Is this turtle a vain turtle? Sometimes I'll catch him in front of my bedroom mirror dancing. And um, I don't know. Is it cruel to take the mirrors away or would it be more cruel to put more around so if he's walking around with a hundred turtles anyway maybe you have some insight thank you wiretap so i mean on the surface it's it's <laughs> it sounds a little silly and it sounds like it's about a turtle yeah. but i yeah. i feel like it opens up onto broader existential issues you know that's interesting why do you uh, think that I mean, it seems to me as though she's asking a very essential question about how to be in the world. You know what I mean? Do you allow people their denial right. uh, if it makes them happy? Or do you have a responsibility to set them straight, even though that might be painful? Right. And also, I mean, the thing that struck me is you also don't know what's going on in people's heads, you know? So, like, she described the turtle as being obsessed. Like, I'm like, I'm like mm. I don't know that you know that the turtle's obsessed. 
So I think a lot of the time we see other people's outer actions and we sort of imagine that we know what's going on inside of them. So we'd go to the turtle and say, hey, I want to talk to you about the fact that you're so lonely and obsessed with meeting other turtles. But that's not an observation. That's your interpretation. So you can point to the specific thing. You say, hey, I noticed that you're looking in the mirror quite a bit. And in some cases, you might just say, I just want, I wonder what's up with that. And maybe they'll tell you. And maybe it's what you think, or maybe it's something else, or maybe they tell you something which you think isn't true, and you can challenge that. But but really being very clear that, like, if you say, this is my theory of what's going on. This is what it looks like to me. Do you think there might be some truth to that? You know, rather than just going in and saying, I know the truth, let me tell it to you. So just again, like, capping off the whole literal turtle thing, you yeah. think she should just leave the mirrors and I think let it I, be? I think she'd do whatever she wants because it's a turtle. <laughs> oh, if only human problems were that easy to resolve, huh? Well, for a lot of people, they are. I mean, if you just don't care. Tyrants. About and, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, let's let's uh, let's hear what else we have. Uh, yes, my name is Patrick Harris. I'm calling the Wiretap Helpline today from uh, California. I need some help with uh, conflict resolution I have with a friend. I have a friend, female friend, and the conflict we have is that she tends to associate a very negative connotation with the phrase, have a good one. And I'd like, you know, uh, a wiretap point of view is to one, is she just out of line on her point of view? And then two, if she is right, how come more people don't know about this other than her? Thank you. So uh, on the surface, this, this might seem like another silly question, but if you think about it, these are the kinds of little disagreements that over time can end up festering and, you know, be, becoming uh, kind of divisive. Okay, so here's what I'm going to imagine is he says to his friend, have a good one. And she says, ah, that phrase is such a stupid, bad phrase. Why does everyone use it? It sucks. And then he's like, you're wrong. Like, have a good one's a perfectly normal phrase. Like, people use it all the time. And then she's like, it's stupid. And here's what's wrong. It sort of doesn't matter. What matters is that, like, he says that to her and she doesn't like it. And within the realm of that relationship where it's like, I don't like that phrase. Okay, I won't say that to you. That seems like a really easy solution <laughs> to me. Do, do, but does someone have a right to tell someone that? No. Okay, well, here's an important thing. So here's a really important thing in conflict. But in, in any situation, we all have desires, and no one has a right to force other people to act on their desires. But we have opportunities to satisfy other people's desires. So I'm not saying that she can say to him, I hereby order you to never use this phrase with me. But I think that she says, look, I don't like this phrase. And for some reason, when I hear this phrase, it upsets me. It doesn't seem very costly to me to imagine that he could just avoid using that phrase with her. Now, the, the thing, the, what makes it hard is if you do what they're doing, which is that if you make it into a debate about, is this phrase objectively a bad phrase or a good phrase? That's, you can have a debate about that. And, and then you think someone's going to win that debate and that's going to solve the problem. But it's an unwinnable debate. But if, if what instead you allow is, look, it's normal and reasonable for different parties to see things differently and have different opinions. And the question is, how do you how do you coexist given that you have different opinions rather than trying to sort of objectively figure out which one's right and which one's wrong? So you never suggest someone have a good old-fashioned fist fight to resolve something like this? <laughs> do you always feel that it could be resolved with words? No, it's, I think words are usually pretty good. Uh, let's, uh, let's listen to another one. Hey, Jonathan, this is Ron Carroll in Lethbridge. And Jonathan, my problem is, is a small problem. I was married quite young. I had just turned 19 uh, the week uh, before, and I was married for six years when my wife left me for my younger brother. Things were said that night when I found out, which is 35 years ago, so I'm 59, and my family basically disowned me, and I haven't spoken to my brothers 
Perry or Gary since that time. So they refuse. I've I've asked many times, and in the heat of the moment, I, I probably did say things that I, I reread it. But you know, 35 years is a long time not to see your family. So uh, that's the story. I, I can't believe he introduced that as a small problem. I was going to say the same <laughs> thing. That that, is, that yeah. I'd be interested in knowing, my, my sense is that there have been some past attempts to reconnect that haven't worked so well. That, I mean, that's, I think, what he said. And if that's the case, I'd be interested to know more about those. My guess is that what very often happens then in those kinds of things is that people then start to get into the conversation about who's to blame for what, and, mm. and, and that makes it hard. And it's so tempting, though, to have that conversation because it feels so good to be right. Yeah, except it almost never works. No. And that's exactly the fantasy. So that's exactly right. The thing, the thing that happens in all of these things is that's exactly right. The fantasy we have going into a conversation like that is like, oh, I'll, I'll talk to this person, and I know in my head what the truth is. Like, I know that I was in the right, and they were unreasonable. And if I just talk to them, I will persuade them to see things my way, and everything will be so much better. And that makes perfect sense, except for the fact that the other person is thinking pretty much the exact same thing. So if you come into the conversation and you're both trying to do that, you have a conversation where two people are trying to persuade, which also means there are two people who are specifically trying not to be persuaded. And then pretty soon both of you are like angry at each other. And you're like, oh, this person just no wonder we're in this problem. This other person's not a reasonable jerk. They're totally unpersuadable. But that's the, if you think about it, the only way that a conflict is going to get resolved is if people are able to see things differently. So to whatever degree we can, you can actually cultivate in yourself the ability to be willing to see things differently and to have your mind changed, that's the real core of getting better at this stuff. And it's really, 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 really hard to learn. But that's the process. Like you can gradually get better at this and it's part of what, what makes it fun to, you know, to be alive and to mature and it's something that you can actually enjoy getting better at over your life. Thanks for coming in, Misha. Thanks so much. Not all problems can be resolved with mere words. Sometimes problems require a man of action, a loud, annoying man of action. <laughs> Howard? What? what are you doing? Hey, John. I'm a zany clown. Here's my got my one man band. Howard. Okay, let's get serious. Yes, please. There's an organization called Clowns Sans Frontières, which is Clowns Without Borders. You've joined Clowns Without Borders. Yes, I have. I've joined. You've Clowns gone through the whole interview process to be a member of Clowns Without Borders. In a manner of speaking. So you're not, in other words. You're telling me I have to be officially certified to be a clown. And first of all, I did some research, and they have borders. They're not clowns without borders. They do have oh, borders. Oh, is that so? They go to other countries, and they entertain children, and, and they do fundraising and stuff. But would they come to the studio? No, no, of course not. They they go to hospitals and they the do... The idea is that you're supposed to spread joy and merriment wherever you go. Joy. I go everywhere. Corporate meetings and uh-huh. prisons, Wait, rooms, hang locker on. rooms. Wait, hang on one second. You're going to show up as a clown mm-hmm. to penitentiaries. That's, that's the plan. And you think that's going to be well received? Why would it not be? Burst in, entertain, spread joy, 
I'm just having a hard time imagining this scenario. So I'm in the prison yard doing some bench pressing. Right, right. Tattooed all over. You've had a bad day. You've just been refused parole. You just found out your old lady cheated on you. That's when I come in. I'm like, hey, Mr. Cranky. <coughs> what's going on there? You got a bad case of the prison blues? <coughs> Looks like someone needs that brown turned upside down. And I'll whip up my trusty animal balloons. So I'll blow up the balloon. Okay, let's, let's pretend you're a prisoner, okay? Okay, so you just, let's. What can I make for you, Mr. Prisoner? Make me a balloon shiv. You want a puppy dog? So how long you been in the stir? 15 years. Wow, that's a long time. What did you do? I killed a clown. I've died plenty of times on stage. <laughs> Howard, and Howard, that's going to pop, Howard. Hold it again. You're really, you're pushing it. And one more time. You shouldn't be doing that. And... Howard? Yes? Get out. I, I'll go, but I got something in my, it's stuck in my teeth here. It has just put it head over there, it's in my teeth. Howard, I'm not going to pull a paper ribbon out of your mouth, okay? I don't want you to pull it. I just want you to pull this out. I got it. Uh, it's just gristle from a smoked meat sandwich from, from lunch. Okay, Howard, I really need you to leave now. So I get you want me to go, but I think you'd have to admit we had some fun here. I, do, I will not, I don't have to admit that. I don't. I bet I don't. you went to go see Sir Stuart McLean. He would really enjoy I, this. You know what? I think that would be a great idea. You think so? As a matter of fact, he's 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 just down the hall uh, recording in the studio. He's got a spirit of joy. You know, two weeks ago we went for sushi, and he was who's telling we, me. Who's we? Me and Sir Stuart McLean. No, you. And why do you keep calling him Sir Stuart? Because he is. He's been knighted. I don't think he's been knighted. He was knighted and by the Governor second. General of Canada. What do you mean you were going for sushi? I've gone for sushi several times in this place. I've never gone for sushi with Stuart. Well, On Wiretap today, you heard Martin Ferrer and Howard Chakowitz. You also heard Misha Globerman, who can be contacted for his conflict resolution services at mishagloberman.com slash negotiation. Wiretap is produced by Mira Bertwintonic, Crystal Duhame, and me, Jonathan Goldstein. Special thanks to Jason Boychuk and all the people who phoned in to the Wiretap helpline. Hi, Wiretap. Hi, Jonathan. Hi, Jonathan. I have a bit I of a am problem. calling the Wiretap helpline because I think my cat might be depressed. My dog, Sally, won't walk with me. I had a song stuck in my head for nearly a decade. I'm holding in the secret that uh, I just have so much trouble opening oranges. Maybe the issue is also with my husband, who's maybe too good of a dad. My hands get all sticky. I just don't know how to get over him. Flushable cat litter. The only problem is reading on the train makes me motion sick. I have no tolerance for small talk. My dogs were barking and the neighbors called the cops. That's life, I guess. Could you help me out? Thanks a lot. Thanks. Bye-bye now. Fin du message. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.